Welcome to the Evo GK Podcast. Evo GK Podcast. What a save! We bring you the highs and the lows and lessons learned as we talk everything goalkeeping with some of the best in the business. For your ultimate goalkeeping fix, this is the podcast for you. With your hosts, James Howarth and Dominic Bilet. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Evo GK podcast. We're joined today by another very special guest. But before we dive into that, Dominic, how are we, my friend? James, I'm very good. Thank you for asking everyone at home who's tuning in. I hope you're excited to hear Andy's thoughts. Um, I know I've got a lot of friends who are, who are very jealous I'm getting to talk to Andy today because uh, I know Andy spent a lot of time at Stoke and, and they're massive Stoke fans. So I'm sure they'll be tuning in with everyone else at home. Um, to hear Andy's stories at his time there. Fantastic. And for those of you that don't know who Andy is, um, Andy is a current first-team goalkeeping coach of Brentford in the Championship. And Andy also spent many years, as Dominic said, at Stoke City, um, working with the likes of Jack Butland, um, which is obviously a very, very established goalkeeper. Um, and Andy worked very closely with us here at Evo GK, um, you know, in terms of our National Goalkeeper Conference, Coach Education Day and Coaching Day. So, Dominic, let's dive straight into it. No one wants to listen to us all day. Let's get Andy in. Let's do this, mate. Let's go. Andy, how are you and how's everything going at Brentford? Uh, yeah, not too bad. And uh, actually, you're talking to me today. It's uh, been our first day back after, I think, eight weeks. It's been something like that uh, since we've all been locked down. And uh, yes, yeah, uh, it's been a pleasure to get back and out on the grass and, and do some training with the lads. Brilliant. Was it was it much different today? Was it, you know, obviously compared to what it normally would be? Or uh, You know, I think it's like everybody that, you know, it's a completely different feel to meeting up with people again. You know, you haven't seen people for eight weeks and you can't shake hands with them. And, yeah. and that sort of communication and uh, things is, is a big part of most football clubs. And, um, you know, not being able to communicate with a handshake or a hug or whatever it may be, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, it kind of feels a little bit weird. Um, but once you get back, get on the training field, um, yeah, it's different because you're in small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, you know, in terms of the distances that you have to keep and things like that, I think some of that happens naturally. Obviously, we're not, we're not going into full contact or anything like that. We can't do that yet. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the essence of, of going out and training and, and being able to, to feel a ball again is a fantastic feeling. And, you know, hopefully we can get through these phases quite quickly and be into full contact and start games again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Andy, you touch, you touch upon starting games again soon. Obviously, that looks for the Steel Blues that that's more than likely going to be without fans for the time being. Yeah. Have, that's obviously going to have some impact. Is there, has there been any sort of talk about that going into games and the players just want to get back at it? No, I mean, there's been very little talk at the moment about game starting because yeah. we don't know where he's going to be yeah. we don't know what it's going to look like we, we're pretty much sure that he's going to be without fans we know that but what the games are going to consist of whether we continue the league we go straight to playoffs or or, or, or whether it's just completely none and void we still don't know that I mean I don't think that will be the case but um, you know hopefully we'll get back to playing games of some sort um, we all want to play in front of fans and it will be a very different feel without the fans there. But uh, I think everybody, you know, uh, 
putting everybody's health and, and all of those feelings yeah. to one side from a sporting point of view, just to get out there and have some sport on the telly would, would be fantastic for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, Andy, I'm going to dive straight in. Um, so, obviously, you've had a, a, a playing career yourself, uh, Hereford at uh, Grimsby, and, and obviously various clubs with your coaching. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering, uh, which one do you prefer having done both? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm lucky that, you know, you mentioned two of my latter clubs there, and uh, I was, um, you know, I was a an apprentice at Tottenham. Uh, I was lucky enough to spend three years at Derby as a as a pro as well. Although the number of games I actually played in those times was was minimal, um, but I was lucky enough to be at some really good clubs. Um, never really hit the dizzy heights that I wanted to. I had the career that I I thought I might have been able to achieve. Um, so from that point of view, um, you know, I'm not saying it was disappointing, but yeah. Uh, never really achieved what I, I would have liked to as a player. Um, and coaching is the next best thing. Uh, you know, if I could choose between playing and coaching, you know, when I was when I was twenty twenty one, <laughs> playing all day. But you know, now I'm, I'm the age I'm at, and um, you know, I wasn't uh, fortunate enough to have that career as a player. Uh, coaching is certainly the next best thing to to being involved, to being able to give something back. Um, to, to young players, to be able to support older players and help and improve players. It's this fantastic feeling when you feel like you've achieved something in that way. And again, I've been really lucky to be at, you know, some fantastic clubs. Um, you know, spent a long time at Stoke, 12 years at Stoke, and we had some, some great times and promoted a cup final, playing in Europe. Um, and now to be at Brentford, which again is a, is a great club in in the championship and uh, pushing for promotion, um, you know, really good clubs to be at, and uh, yeah, couldn't ask for any more as, as a coach, really. Yeah, you you, you touch upon there, Andy, uh, and it's something that I've always remembered. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Brian Clough that said the unfulfilled player makes for a better coach, and uh, you know, I and, and obviously you've had still a very good playing career, but you said you would like to have gone higher. Do you yeah. think that's pushed you further as a coach? Yeah, I think, you know, I've managed to find a way to, to a, a position as a coach that I couldn't get to as a player um, in terms of a level, um, you know, coaching in the Premier League. And that was something that, you know, I've had to work hard to achieve that, um, you know, and I think you, you find that same sort of uh, desire and determination that, that you had as a player. And, and you know, you draw on a lot of those skills and attributes and, uh, learning how to deal with people within the game, to manage the game, your understanding of the game. So, yeah, I think all of those things have uh, helped my desire to, to want to be a better coach. And then, you know, when, once you start to get a flavour, you, you get an appetite and, you know, you, you push harder and harder. And, and mo moving on to that then, when you talk about your clubs that you coach at, obviously one that one that sticks out is, is your time at Stoke. Um, a player within that that is is, is quite a, a big name that always sticks out to me. I just wonder, wondered what it's like to work with a player like Jack Butland. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a top professional and uh, and a top goalkeeper. You know, he, he's played for his country, represented his country. And, I think he's still the youngest goalkeeper to ever represent England. Um, so, you know, he, he's, a, he's a top talent. 
um, and a fantastic person to to work with and and uh, yeah and, and coach. So no, fantastic. And, and again, my time at Stoke, I've been really lucky to uh, to have some some top goalkeepers. You know, we we started in the Premier League with uh, when we got promoted. Thomas Sorensen joined us, Danish international. Um, we then brought in Asmir Begovic and, and uh, Thomas and Asmir fought it out for, for a couple of years and, um, and then we brought in Jack. So I've been really fortunate to, to work with some top goalkeepers at Stoke. Yeah, And did you have them all, all in three goalkeepers at the same time, Andy, kind of fighting it out or was it? But at one point, the three were, were at the club at the same time mm-hmm. um, and they were fighting it out. They were all at different stages of their career. Um, and, but all pushing each other and competing for for a number one spot uh, in different ways. You know, we, we bought Jack as a 19-year-old from Birmingham. Um, he'd he'd uh, been on loan to Cheltenham, um, played, I think, 30 games at Birmingham in the Championship, and we brought him in um, to compete with, with Asmir and Thomas. Um, Asmir had sort of, uh, at that time, maybe just knocked Thomas out of the, the number one position, uh, and was performing brilliantly in the Premier League. And Thomas was a, the, the ultimate competitor, was still playing for his country, um, got his 101st cap for, for Denmark and captain in his country. And, and so yeah, it's a fantastic group to work with in terms of the competition between them and, and the levels that they were all at. Yeah. How do you deal with that personally as a, as a coach? Because obviously goalkeeping, there's only going to be one of them that gets picked. How would you deal with that sort of competition because you've got to sort of handle them all? Yeah, well, I think the, the one thing to say is that they're all fantastic characters and they all support each other or did support each other. And um, as competitive as they were on a, on a daily basis, um, they, they were really supportive of each other once they crossed the white line or the other one crossed the white line. Um, so, you know, they were really supportive of each other. Um, and I've got to say, all, all the goalkeepers that I've worked with, I bring Lee Grant into that as well, um, who's now at Manchester United, and, and he came on loan and uh, had a fantastic season for us. And, uh, you know, he was unlucky, played while Jack was injured. Um, and then Jack came back from his injury and, uh, and pushed Lee out again. But Lee was so supportive of him in, the, in that following season. Uh, it, it was fantastic to, to see. And, you know, my job... Um, really is to, to sort of manage them um, on a daily basis in, in terms of their expect, expectations um, and do that along with the manager um, and keep them motivated and, and keep pushing them, um, you know, help them learn, help them improve um, tiny little areas at that elite level. And, you know, they'll all have different aims at, at one point. It, it might be for the young one to, to push the number one and, uh, and, and to, to knock him off his spot. Um, it, it might be for, for the older, more senior goalkeeper to earn another contract, to impress the manager to be able to earn another contract and, and keep himself at that level for, for a little bit longer. Yeah, you, you talk about the manager there, Andy. Uh, what, what sort of... Or did he give you the ownership? What was that relationship like? And did you have control of the goalkeepers and you report to him? But Eric touched upon it, man, you. It was sort of... Uh, so Alex Ferguson give him the ownership, but he would intervene if he felt there was something. Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky in, in terms of all the managers that I've worked with, Tony Poulis, Mark Hughes, and then more recently, uh, Gary Rowett, uh, Nathan Jones, uh, Paul Lambert. 
uh, and they've all allowed me the the ownership the, to take charge of the goalkeeping group. Um, they obviously pick the team at the end of the day. Um, there'll be a conversation that, that we'll have around how people are playing and, and their expectations. Um, yeah, and, and if the manager feels a need to, to step in, then that's that's what he'll do. But, you know, there will always be a, a fluid conversation between myself and the manager. And, and sometimes for myself, it, it might mean that, you know, I'll say to the manager, I think this one you need to deal with. You know, I think I think you can give him a little nudge on this one. And uh, and it's a it's a joint effort. It really is. But no, I mean all the managers I've, I've worked under have been fantastic and uh, allowed me that ownership and responsibility uh, to report back to them and, and to work alongside them. When when you were obviously at that level, um, was there any sort of learning curves in your coaching career that particularly stand out to you? That's a good question. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think you're constantly learning. I mean, there's been a lot of learnings in terms of, um, yeah, I think the first thing would be you know, managing players' loads and uh, workloads across a season, um, working through different periods, uh, you know, Christmas period, uh, um, end of season, pushing towards the end of the season. Uh, and then really, you know, the crux of it is, is when you come to match day and having to, to manage the players and manage the group around a match day to get the best out of them. Um, uh, you know, we, we would tend to go on sort of little runs, of, you know, in the Premier League, it's very difficult to keep winning every week, you know. And uh, so, you know, you inevitably, you, you know, you might lose one, draw one, and then the next one, we need to win this one to get some points on the board. And it's, it's keeping that fire in everybody's belly and the hunger to to be able to go out and, and really show that desire and uh, keep the ball out the net at the end of the day and make the right decisions. Brilliant. And as uh, and as I know, you mentioned uh, Thomas Orison. Um, we've been obviously from the northeast. Uh, yeah. People I used to watch a lot from his Sullen days, and obviously I looked up to him quite a lot. Uh, what was it like working with Thomas? And secondly, Thomas retired at the age of forty-one. Uh, was his physical condition and the biggest factor him, for him to be able to play for as long as he did? Um, certainly, the answer to your last question was, yeah, his physical condition was fantastic and uh, still is. He's, uh, he looks after himself extremely well. and uh, Even since he's finished playing, he, he's, he's doing some unbelievable events. He's cycled across Australia and across America and things like that and uh, really looking after himself. Um, but, yeah... Um, He's a top professional. Um, again, I, I say I was lucky. I mean, uh, we're the same age. Um, so, again, coming into it, he, he'd been at Aston Villa when we signed him. Uh, we took him on a free. Um, he'd got a good international pedigree and, and Premier League pedigree behind him. Um, and, and that was the experience that we felt that we needed to start us off in the Premier League um, and, and make our push. Uh, and he certainly bought that um, and... and he was fantastic, especially the first season. Um, he was outstanding in that first season. Uh, won us lots and lots of points. Um, big character. Um, talks a lot. Uh, very vocal, uh, but very calm with it. Um, and, and has a real good understanding of, of winning um, and what was needed at the time to, to win games. And he, he was, yeah, top, top professional. And uh, yeah, couldn't, couldn't give him any more credit, really. Brilliant. Do you, do you think in, you talk about sourcing, keeping keeping himself really fit and healthy? 
do you, do you think uh, now that there's a lot more onto that? You've got more nutritionists working with the club, you've got more psychologists, and you, and you think players are expected to do that more. Whereas in, in Sorensen's time, there were some players that were known not to concentrate on that so much. Yeah, I, th- I think Thomas probably came in on the back of that, actually, and um, was one of those uh, that probably were the, the fitter type of goalkeepers in terms of a stereotype. Yes. Um, but, no, I mean, I, I think the game has moved on so much over this this last 15, 20 years um, since Thomas would have become a professional. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what's required of a goalkeeper in terms of the physicality, uh, the amount of running movements that they have to do, how dynamic they need to be, how explosive they need to be. Um, and the way that the game's played now, just in general, uh, yeah, he's, he, you know, being fit and is a massive part of uh, of every goalkeeper's uh, regime at the moment. And like you say, there's loads of, uh, uh, you know, sports science, nutrition, uh, strength conditioning out there, that, that the support that they're given. Um, and that will, you know, really enables them to, to be a, a top peak fitness uh, every week of the year, really. Yeah, you talk. You talk about the, the role of the goalkeepers there, sort of adapting as the years, years it's gone on, and obviously something that's come prominent in the in the last ten years. Can can you play out? Can you play out from the back? Not just yeah. expected to do the serve. Have you have you had to change as as a coach as more of that's come in? Yes, certainly. Certainly, I've had to adapt. Um, you know, the, the, you know, my my career, if you like, the coaching career over fifteen to twenty years. Um, it's changed immensely and the, the weight that you have to give to that distribution element um, of the game has, has changed. Um, and I think obviously that seems to be the way that the, the game is moving more and more. Um, you are that 11th member of the team. It's not 10 plus one. And, uh, you know, you, you are a real team player. You're, you're adding to overload. You're allowing other players to get higher up the pitch. Um, uh, and, uh, and attack in different areas and also you know, allowing you to defend from higher up the pitch with, with the goalkeeper taking up higher start positions and that sweeper-keeper type role. So, yeah, it's, um, it's certainly changed and, and, you know, as a coach, you've got to keep adapting um, and I think that's, you know, we talk about what we said earlier about, you know, uh, desire to stay at the top and learning from the game and that's something you have to do as well as a coach. You can't stand still and think, well, I'm here and I've done it because some of them are running past you. So, yeah, you've got to keep uh, adapting and, and moving with the times and, um, yeah, keep keep looking for that something new and that, that little edge that's going to get you the wins. Uh, Andy, this, this is something that, you know, I, I think is important. We ask all guests, um, because of all the young goalkeepers that are going to be listening out there, is, is there any advice to them that you could give who are wanting to sort of achieve the things you did as a player and, and, and to play alongside some of the, some of the levels that you've coached? Yeah, I think, yeah. Firstly, you, you need to work hard. You need to be dedicated. Um, listen to your coaches. Um, and also go and look for ideas yourself. Um, you know, you, you, you can't be pigeonholed as, as one type of goalkeeper. You know, find out for yourself what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, you know, obviously work on them. Work out what type of goalkeeper you might be or what goalkeeper you want to be. Um, you know, and there's there's so much uh, stuff for you to go out and research, so much 
video for you out there that, that you guys are putting on and courses that you're putting on are fantastic things for people to view and go and learn from and be a sponge, soak it all up, go and learn as much as you can um, and, and filter out the bits that suit you and the bits that don't. Um, and, and, you know, once you go out and you, you play, you have to learn from the experiences you have, whether they be positive or negative. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the key thing is how quickly you can learn from from uh, the good things, you know, to continue to do those or, or the negatives, right, I'm not going to do that again or I'm going to do it in a different way. And, um, you know, don't hide, no excuses and, and keep learning all the time. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, Andy, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been really interesting to hear your insight on the coaching and on the player aspect too. Um, everyone at home, uh, I'm sure you've enjoyed it listening to Andy as much as we have. Andy, thank you so much again for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. It's great to thank talk you to you. Much, uh, thanks for everything. And thank you very much. So thank you all for tuning in again. Um, again, absolutely brilliant insight from Andy there. And we'll catch you later. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. What a day! Thank you for listening to the Evo GK Podcast with your host, James Howarth and Dominic Bailey. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, Evolve with Evolution. Evolution.